0: I have a survey question for you. How many of you have ever bought a piece of exercise equipment, um, you know, in the hopes that it would help you transform your body? Maybe some tennis shoes, maybe, you know, uh, I don't know, what, what do they call those suits that you, you sweat? And sauna suit, you know, uh, maybe a racket. Anybody, you ever bought something like that? You, you know, you're like, okay, things, some things are going to change, right? How many of you have ever gone all in and spent a lot of money on like a spin cycle, you know, or a treadmill or something like a big piece of equipment? How many of you ever purchased that? How many of you have made those purchases and you're still not transformed? (laughs) All right. So next question. How many of you on the bigger equipment? Have stuff hanging off of it and stored on top of it and stuff like that. Okay, all right. I did that on purpose to make me feel better because I can relate. I'm about to show you a picture of um, my a, a portion of my garage when I first got this. Um, they call it a they call it a uh, power rack, right? Uh, you know, it's funny because. I mean, there's a lot of church stuff in there. You see the keyboard. (laughs) You see the coffee bins. You see some Christmas stuff, right? And then, of course, you see that big old piece of machinery right in the middle. And there was, you know, there's a disconnect. Oh, and there's a punching bag even in the back. So I've, I've, you know, I've spent some money. And it took me about eight hours to put that thing together. But when I finally got it all together, I was motivated and I was excited and me and my family started off great, so we've had this I think for about more or less about a year, and uh, and my boys were using it, were, and then my wife Vilma she actually really put that thing to work and she did really good. Um, I think she dropped like twelve or thirteen pounds, and I know when you look at Vilma, it's like you don't have to lose anything, but she did. She did great. And then uh, even myself, I used it two or three times. And, uh, but the transformation didn't happen because we have not allowed that thing to be what it should be in our lives. How many can relate? Okay, so we're on the same page. Now, Here's where we kind of went wrong. The more we didn't use it, the more other things occupied it, and it got to the point where we would walk right by it and forget that it was even there. As big as that thing is, and so you can see, I've got, I've got a leaf blower on there. I've got uh, music equipment, and there's some stuff I don't even know what's in those boxes. You guys know how it is. You just collect stuff and. You know you, you know, you clean up your garage only to make space for more stuff later. And that's, and that's what's happened. But the machine is not meant for that. And it's not doing what it should be doing. Part of that is on us. And so therefore, we don't find any transformation happening with us. And so in the same way, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, sometimes right we get excited and we we know the holy spirit we know about him but somehow he still isn't what he's supposed to be in our lives and if there's any one person of the godhead jesus has saved us he did his job right god the father he started this whole thing he's the one who gives and provided jesus and jesus called the holy spirit to be the one person to stand with us and to help us see transformation. And when you think about it, that is really the purpose of us serving God, is to, is to worship him wholeheartedly, but to also be transformed, not just for ourselves, but because he has a plan. And his plan is to use us, but we can't be used unless we allow him to transform us. And so Pastor Matt mentioned the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. And so God the Father, Jesus the Son, who is also the Savior. And then now we're talking about the Holy Spirit. He wants to display God's power by doing great wonders and miracles on the earth because it brings God glory. And so the first miracle that he wants to accomplish is to see our lives changed. One of my favorite artists years, years ago when I first got saved, his name was Stephen Curtis Chapman. He wrote a song called What About the Change? What about the change? We talk about Jesus. We talk about God. We come to church. We do a few things here, there, but what about the change? Have you changed? And that song really convicted me. Being a follower of Jesus means much more than going to church or trying to live a good life. It means allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in you to bring change in you. Today we're going to talk about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you a flagship verse for us to rest on. And then I'm going to take us into the Old Testament to follow a story that you're probably familiar with uh, to make some points. So this is going to be fun. I really enjoyed this um, when I was studying and, and, and digging into this. And, uh, and it's really been a blessing to me, you know if you would just take time to park in God's word, it will bless you. It will change your life. It'll show you who you are. It'll show you who you aren't. It'll show you who you're supposed to be. And so I'm hoping that today you'll be blessed, that you'll be encouraged, that you'll be challenged to get to know the Holy Spirit in a brand new way, in a fresh way. So before I go any further, I've got to make something uh, pretty clear about the third person of the Godhead, and um, for whatever reason, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament never uh, referred to the third person, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit, as uh, as Holy Spirit. It's only in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, you will find uh, the Spirit or the Spirit of God. Um, so let me read Second Corinthians chapter three, verse seventeen and eighteen. I'm trying to go a little bit fast here. It says this. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And we all, how many are we? That works. With unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, That's the story of our lives. We don't arrive perfect, but we can put our hope and faith in a God who is perfect, and along the way, he will help us become perfect. But it's never a uh, right out of the box, uh, you show up perfect. Anybody ever been born and you were walking already? No, there's a, there's a process. Same with us. That's 2 Corinthians 3 17 and 18. Um, for whatever reason, as I said, you never see the, new, uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But you do see the Spirit and Spirit of God. And then, of course, we just read from the New Testament where it says, uh, where it references the Spirit directly. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came from the Hebrew word ruach. Ruach. You guys, you want to try it? You got to clear your throat, ruach, okay? And so that word meant breath or life and spirit. There was a bunch of meanings, but the most common was breath. And it meant a creative power that could create something out of nothing. And so when we hear from the beginning in Genesis that the spirit hovered over the deep, before there was any form, it was all void, and he hover, hovered over the deep. That is the spirit who brought everything together, including mankind. When humanity was created, the spirit, ruach, life, breath, was breathed into mankind, and that's what gives us life. In the New Testament, there's a word, it's Greek. It's called pneuma. Also, it's, it's, it's the counterpart of of the Old Testament, ruach, but also means spirit, also created, but when attached to a person, means a dominant power, a vital power. And so sometimes you'll find that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, on one side, we've kind of, you know, uh, settled on the Holy Spirit being a power, you know, a, uh, a force, or a feeling, or an aura. And then you go to the other side, And, you know, we know that the Holy Spirit is power and that he's wind and that he's fire. And we kind of settle that he's that. But in both cases, the Holy Spirit is much more. Much more than a feeling. Much more than a burst of power. The Holy Spirit is a person that wants to get to know you. And God has personally assigned him to us, to help us be transformed. Now, uh, whether it's the Ruach in the Old Testament or Numa in the New Testament, both are translated spirit. So this is where I'm kind of landing on. We're talking about the spirit of God, okay? And I wanted to explain this because where we're used, uh, usually used to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, I'm bringing you back to the, to the Old Testament, but I'm here to tell you first before we go there that they are the same. They are the same. Both were the source of life. Both, both uh, made, gave us the ability to have a relationship with God. So one thing I've learned is that we have to land somewhere in the middle. I gave a statistic a couple of weeks ago. About 60% of people who go to church, evangelical people who believe in God, they go to church regularly. About 60% have arrived at the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is just a force but not a person. And then we know those of us who came from a Pentecostal or charismatic circle and you talk about wind and fire and that's who the Holy Spirit is. And I don't know about if you realize this, over in the West we have a lot of wildfires, right? That's a recipe for something big. When there's a fire and then wind meets it, It's a recipe for something really big, sometimes out of control. And so sometimes we are, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not after the experiences. That's not the goal of, of the Holy Spirit coming, although we shouldn't be rejecting the experiences either. And there's some things that you just have to encounter for yourself. When we first got here to the States in 2014, uh, one of the first things we did was we took our kids over to the uh, San Diego Safari Park. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever go to the lion's cages, the lion's den? I've seen lions on TV, I've seen how big they are, I've heard them roar on TV, but until you're standing face to face with one, looking at them in the eyes, and you hear that roar. It's just something that you have to experience for yourself to understand. And I felt the rumble from him. And the first three was like, was like huffing. He was like, <sighs> it wasn't even a roar. And I could already feel the rumbling. And I said, wow. And then he let, out, he let it rip. The funny thing is he was laying down. And I realized very fast why this was the king of the jungle. And in the same way that I experienced that and I can't explain it and no TV can justify it, in the same way the Holy Spirit is something that must be experienced. You can't dumb it down to a feeling. You can't hype it up as as a, a blast of power. It's something that God has to do to you first before we can see him do what he wants to do. In us. Now, the story we're going to go to is in the Old Testament, so turn to, we're going to be in 1 Samuel, chapter 5. Um, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was represented. Here's, a, here's another thing that, that, is, uh, that needs to be distinguished about the Holy Spirit of the New Testament and the, and the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. And that's in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was always represented in something that was external. And so God wanted his presence to be known and to be felt, but it was something external. If you wanted to have the presence of God, you had to follow that thing. For Moses, it was the burning bush. And God loves us so much that in the New Testament or the New Covenant, that was the old way. We got the 2.0 version of God's presence. We got the better, the upgraded version. And that's where not only does God come to be with us, He wants to dwell within us. And so now we're, in the Old Testament, they had had to follow the presence of God. In the New Testament, the presence of God goes with us. Wherever we go. Sorry, Siri, I'm I'm preaching. Thank you. Man, that reminds me of a story. Maybe I'll, I'll sneak it in here. Um, (laughs) 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1 through 4 when the Philistines captured the ark of God in the Old Testament the ark of God represented his presence and his power we know this right when the Philistines captured the ark of God they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon Dagon was their god at the time And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So you got in one room two gods. You have the ark that represents the God of gods. And then you had Dagon who couldn't speak, who couldn't talk, who needed help because when he fell over, they had to pick him up. If you have to help your God, ditch him. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head, this happened a second time. This time the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left. That's it. Here's what happened. Back during that time. The Israelites were in a battle with the Philistines. They were at war. They were losing. So what happened was uh, uh, a couple of priests, because only priests can carry the ark. They bring the ark because they wanted to treat it kind of like a good luck charm. And they bring it to the fight thinking, if we bring the presence of God, he's going to help us win. How many know that was the first mistake? Is that you don't treat God like a good luck charm. They only brought him when they needed him. They only brought him because it was an emergency. They only brought him because they were afraid. Is any of this sounding familiar? We run to God in times where God, I can't. I can't I can't do this. Right? Another thing that we learn Hold on, I'm trying to skip around so I don't keep you guys too long. Ah, let me just go into uh, my point, okay? And then I'll uh, go into this a little bit, because there's some things I don't want you to miss, but I don't want to keep you here too long either. Uh, My first point is this. Whatever the Holy Spirit defeats or breaks, you are empowered to remove. So going back to the presence of God, going back to Dagon, you notice that Dagon fell, The spirit of the Lord, the presence of the Lord defeated that God. And whatever it is that you have in your life that has propped itself up as a God or something that is causing you trouble that shouldn't be there, the very presence of God, just by his virtue of who he is, can show up and defeat that thing. But he still requires you to clean up the mess. And so I'm sure when Dagon fell, I'm sure somebody had to, had to pick him up, had to pick up his feet and his arms and his head. And so God will defeat, but you have to take the trash out. Whether it's, uh, you, know, a, you know, this past Friday night, we, we had our first freedom weekend with the, with the men. It's the first uh, one we've had in, in, in quite a long time. And so, as we got into it, just a, maybe a little precursor without any details, we talked about curses that attach themselves to us. Doors that we open that allow curses to come in. And so, these curses come into our lives and prop themselves up, again, as, as, uh, as gods. And anything that we put that is more important or more valuable or more controlling, then this god becomes a god. Of course, it's a little g, because he's not the god, And so whether it's things like witchcraft that has propped itself up in your life, whether it's things like uh, anger that has propped itself up in your life to be a God, or things like, like lust or insecurity or even fear, the presence of God can show up and defeat that thing right away. But you know what? There's still work for you to do on the other side of that. And so we learned that when you bring the Holy Spirit in just by who he is, just his very presence, God can defeat those false gods. And they are false gods. They were created. But he gives you the power and the authority to, take, to remove it, if that makes sense. God defeats it, but he gives you the power and the authority to remove it. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to win in life where we think we don't have options, where we don't think we're strong enough. The presence of God can come in and defeat the enemy for you, but you still have to do the dirty work and work for that freedom. All those things that try to hold you hostage, I dare you to bring the Holy Spirit in and cut them loose. So, first the Israelites make the mistake by trying to use the ark as a good luck charm. Uh, They try to bring God into the picture when they needed him the most, but they didn't need him before that. That was the first mistake. The next mistake the Philistines made was to put him in the same room as their God. And I'll tell you this, our God will not cohabitate with other gods. He just won't. Um, I got permission from Vilma to tell this story. It's uh, not a big deal, but I always, when I do this, I always want to, you know, get her permission, but... Man, you know how, remember when you were in high school and there's that cute girl, right, that you want to impress? You kind of have a crush. You're kind of crushing on her. And so there's this one girl, and so, you know, I kind of wanted to impress her, right? So I tried to be all charming, and I bought her this stuffed animal, right? Don't lie. You've done it. And so (laughs) I bring the stuffed animal over to her house, and um, she has this... Cute little, I don't know if it was a Yorkie or Silky Terrier. Um, And that was her dog. I mean, that dog went, if she wasn't in school, that dog was with her. And so I brought this uh, stuffed animal. I can't remember if it was like yeah, I I can't remember what it was. I'm sure it was maybe something like a teddy bear. That dog did not like that teddy bear. What made it worse was she provoked her dog. (laughs) She's like, oh, it's so cute. She was petting it, and the dog was going nuts. The dog was going crazy. So anyway, she puts the stuffed animal down. We go, and we join the rest of the group, and and we're having cake, and we're eating. We come back upstairs, and the stuffed animal I got was ripped to shreds. It provoked that dog to jealousy. And in the same way, God will not allow something another god to remain in the same place so when the holy spirit dwells in us and there's something else in us that's propped up god's going something has got to give either one of two things happen either you keep the holy spirit and that god is defeated or sometimes we decide we like this god and we'll kind of distance ourselves from the holy spirit but let it be known today that if you choose to hold on to the Holy Spirit, you can't introduce another God to be part of them. It doesn't work that way. And God says, not in my house. God just doesn't play well with other gods. Just like that little Yorkie did not play well with other Animals. And so that's what people do. They try to bring Jesus in with all the other junk that we have in our lives. Speaking from experience. There were some things that were important to me. Even some things that I didn't like that I wanted to get rid of, but I couldn't. And then I bring God into the picture and I'm trying to juggle both. That's a hard relationship to have. So when the Holy Spirit gives is given access to the other gods, he will defeat them. But again, we have work to do on the other side because deliverance brings victory, but discipleship cleans up the mess. So the Spirit of God can defeat the enemy for us, but through discipleship, through a steady walk with the Lord, we clean up, our lives. It means getting things out of your life. It means replacing bad habits with good ones. It means that you have to start even to renew your mind sometimes, which is not always easy, is it? But the Holy Spirit helps you. It's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. We're going to get into this more. My second point, the Holy Spirit will make no difference in someone who is indifferent to him. If I could just be straight up honest with you, I feel like the modern church, the modern evangelical church has a Holy Spirit problem. I, I, just, I just think that the church has a Holy Spirit problem because, because we don't want to accept him for who he is. We talked about a wind. We talked about fire. God cannot be controlled. He can only be trusted. You have to follow him. And that's, you know what I'm saying? So even as I'm saying that, Never mind, I won't even go there. <laughs> I won't even go there. Let's go. The Holy Spirit will make no difference in someone who is indifferent to him. You know what it means to be indifferent? Indifferent means you just don't care. You don't care if they do. You don't care if they don't. You don't care if it is. You don't care if it isn't. If you're ever in a relationship, for example, if I ever told them, you know what? I'm going to go meet somebody else. If she said, I don't care. I should be very worried. At least, here's where I'll tell the story. Remember before our phones had GPS? They had something called GPS that you can buy. The car rental companies would let you rent it, right? And so they were cool. You punch in the address. It tells you make a right turn in one mile, right? Oh, you missed your turn. You turn, right? And so the first GPS that I bought, we weren't living here in the mainland yet. We were visiting her family here in Vegas, and so I bought one of those so that I wouldn't have to rent it from the rental car company. And we loved it. It was cool. We could find anything, go anywhere, know when we're going to get there. But on the GPS, it was a girl's voice. And me and Vilma were just brand new married. And so, you know, I'm, I, I like to joke around and, and be funny. And so it would say things like, you know, please exit in the next two miles. I'd, I'd say, thank you. I appreciate that. And Vilma would give me this look. Right, and so driving from the airport, we get all the way to her parents' house, and then it says, you have arrived at your destination. And I said, thanks, baby. And she goes, I'm going to crush that day. (laughs) What is my point? I'm I'm thinking what I was going to say. Oh, indifference. At least I saw that Vilma cared for me because she hated that GPS because of the way that I treated it. But I could tell she cared for me because she didn't like it. But if you're ever in your life in a relationship that is important to you and they don't care about you or what you do or just anything like that, that's indifference. And so sometimes with the Holy Spirit, we know what he represents. We know what he brings. We know what he offers. And still we kind of cross our arms and go, yeah, that's cool. But the Holy Spirit has gifts for you. Yeah, but I don't have to. I don't have to receive it. That's indifference. In the next scripture passage that we're going to look at, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7. So we're going a little bit ahead. It says this, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. And the men of Kariath jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab... On the hill, little bit of background, Abinadab was one of God's people. He was a Levite who was one of the priests who was meant to take care of God's things, his house, uh, the things, the equipment, you know, that, that was the, and, and including the Ark of the Covenant. And so uh, Abinadab was somebody who was uh, appropriately fit to care for the Ark. And so that's why they brought it to him. Now, here's the thing. His whole family was Levites. They were a tribe. And so, uh, let me just finish this. Verse uh, 2, let's back up before. It says, and they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the Ark of the Lord. This was a family. This is what they do. This was their job. They knew how to take care of the Ark. It went back generations, and now they have it. We got this. Verse 2, from the day that the Ark was lodged at Cariath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, say 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Let me, without having to read everything else, just kind of sum this up. Here is a Levite priestly family who took in the, pres- the very presence of God. It was their job to take care of the ark, 20 years passes and they become kind of indifferent in the same way that we walk past that big old gigantic exercise machine in my garage they probably started walking past the ark as if it was nothing I wouldn't be surprised if they had just ironed their clothes and then hung it maybe on one of the bars on the ark and for 20 years it doesn't tell us that anything amazing happened But yet, 24-7, the ark of the Lord, the presence of God was in their house. God was in their house. And after 20 years, it was just no big deal. The spirit of God, eh, no big deal. And that's what we are not supposed to do with the Holy Spirit. Because here's what happens. After the Philistines defeated Israelites, remember the story when they brought the ark, thinking no, this is going to help us win. Well, they lost. Guess what? The Philippines—not the, the, the Philippines—the Philistines took the ark. They put it in the same room with their god, Dagon. Falls, and all, uh, after that, bad things start happening. They start getting sick. They start getting boils. And then the Philistines decide we don't want this thing anymore. This god, whatever it is, is real and it's messing us up. And so. They say, get it out, and so they give it to Abinadab and his family. So now it's in the right hands. So they give up, the Philistines give up the presence of God. Abinadab takes the presence of God in, and it was no big deal. It's just God. The presence of God. Eh. Fast forward to second, Samuel 6, 3 through 8. Give me a second, okay. Here's what happens. Here's how you know that the presence of God just wasn't a big deal to them anymore. Because a Levite knows what to do and how to handle it. Here's what happens. They carried the ark of God on a new cart. The ark of the covenant came with very specific instructions. Only the priests can handle it and touch it. It was a golden box that was never meant to be put on a cart. It was meant to be carried on the shoulders of God's people. But I shouldn't be telling you this because Abinadab and Eleazar and Uzzah, the two sons, they knew this. And so they're the ones who made the decision, okay, we're going to deliver this thing, get a couple of cattle, throw it on the back of a cart. Yeah, let's get it out of here. The very thing they know they shouldn't do, they began to take the presence of God lightly. It was just not a big deal to them. It was indif- they were indifferent. You see what I'm saying? Verse 4, with the ark of God and a heel uh, went before the ark. David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. They got the ark back. It's in the right hands. It's in the right country. Verse 6, when they came to the threshing floor of uh, Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and God took hold of it. The oxen stumbled. The ark was looking like it was going to fall over. And so Uzzah, who was one of the people who knew that you shouldn't be doing this anyway, sticks his hands out and touches it. A couple of weeks ago, I made reference that sometimes I had a hard time with God's word. But when we are close to the Holy Spirit, somehow we just, we can look past certain things. This is one of the ones that I had a problem with. I'm Like, God, he was trying to study the ark, and he touched it, and he died God, did you, is that, did that have to happen? And so anyway, he dies. And David is feeling kind of like the way I'm feeling. In verse 7, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error. He died there beside the ark of God, and David was angry. King David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place to this day is named after that dude, Perez Uzzah because he touched it, and he died, so I already explained that he was a Levite family, that they were a family of priests, and they knew exactly how to handle this thing, but they didn't do it, because they were indifferent about the things of God, and God's God's presence just wasn't a big deal to them anymore, and so they began to take it for granted, and treat it with contempt, like there was like no authority, it didn't bother them to just kind of throw it on a cart now, behind a couple of, you know, smelly animals. Just let's, let's get out of here. Let's get the job done. How I many know we don't approach God that way? Sometimes we do. We, we treat the Holy Spirit as if, uh, uh if you show up today, that'd be cool. Yeah, oh, the Spirit of God's breaking out, but yeah, no, I'm cool back here. I don't need that. I know the presence of God. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. Let me know how it goes. How I many knows the same attitude Uzzah and his brother and Abinadab, his dad, had. The Ark of the Covenant in their house was like a washing machine or a microwave oven. I want you to know something. Um, last week I mentioned that it's possible to quench the Holy Spirit because He's a person. You know what quench means? It means to pour water on something, pour water on the fire. That's what it means. To quench. And a lot of times we think we quench the Holy Spirit by our sin. But you know, that's not what quenches the Holy Spirit. It's not our sin. It's our attitude of indifference towards him. The Holy Spirit understands your sin. That's that's our nature. But when the Holy Spirit shows shows up and says, I can help you. I want to help you. And we go... I'm cool. Thanks but I'm good. That's what it means to quench the Holy Spirit. Something that I'm realizing now you know a lot of times we think that by being close to God and and there's some truth to this but a lot of times we think that proximity to God is, is more important than our attitude towards him and I don't think that's necessarily true. I think what really should matter is our passion and our love towards him. They say you can't stop a man who's in love. That's where we get the songs, I'll swim the deepest ocean, girl. I'll climb the highest mountain, girl, because I'm in love. Well, if we were in love with the Holy Spirit, nothing would stop. All right, let me finish. We got to get out of here because y'all are hot. The moment we lose interest in him, Here's the scary part. The Holy Spirit will move on. The Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity participator. It's like air. We all have access to air. It doesn't discriminate, and the Holy Spirit is the same. If we ever say, Holy Spirit, no thanks, he'll go, peace, and he'll go to the next person. Because the person who's in love with him and passionate for him, that's who he's committed to. My last point, and then we'll bring this to a close. Let me skim real quick. I just don't want to miss anything. Last point. The Holy Spirit will transform anyone who will embrace him. Anybody who's indifferent to him, he's a gentleman. You don't want him? Cool. Go back up. But to anyone who embraces him, who accepts him, and who takes him in. He will transform that person. 2 Samuel 6, 10 through 12. This is kind of fast-forwarding through the rest of the story. It says, so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David because we saw what just had happened. He, he was upset that Uzzah died. The same way I was going, God, man, that was pretty harsh. David was like the same thing. He's upset. So now he's refusing to take the ark. So he leaves it with a guy named Obed-Edom. Maybe I'll just paraphrase this verse. And it says he was a Gittite. A Gittite, scholars agree that a Gittite is not an Israelite. Matter of fact, came from the line of the Philistines, the very people who they fought against, who defeated them and took the ark. And so David says, I'm not taking this thing. Wherever it's at, just park it. Whoever's there, have them. Take care of it. So here's what happens. Obed-Edom understands and realizes that this is a God. And, and, and think about the story. This thing has a reputation now. Uzzah had just died from touching it. And now he's probably thinking, look, I got kids in my house. I don't want this thing in my house. He could have said that. But no, instead he says, you know what? I'll take it. Bring it in. And the Bible says that for three months, he cared for the ark or the presence, the spirit of God. And within those three months, the Bible says that he and his family were blessed. Not just blessed because, you know, he took care of it. He was so blessed that David heard about it. He's going, wait, wait, wait. The ark that we left, this is what's. Because he took it in, and he embraced it. And it began to transform his life, not just his life, but his family's life. And if you will embrace the Holy Spirit, not only will he transform you, he'll affect even others around you. That's how powerful this is. And so David goes and he gets the ark back, and he brings it, and now he's thinking, You know, David's a godly man. He knows that he's not after the blessing. And you know, there's something about when you have the Holy Spirit in you and he's leading and he's guiding you, when you pursue good things, it's not for the blessing. God will take that feeling of being blessed and make you want to do more with it. So here's what happens with with, uh, Obed-Edom. Instead of just always... You know, uh, after he gives up the ark and the ark is gone, you know what he decides? This spirit and presence of God has blessed me so much, and blessed my family so much. I'm not going after the blessing. I'm going to stay with the spirit of God wherever it goes. I'm going. And he went with this thing. And the Bible says in uh, in Chronicles, you could search this up somewhere. In Chronicles, he becomes a gatekeeper. He begins to serve in the house of God and, and and. you know, he's, he's like a security guard now. He wasn't after the blessing, he was after the presence. And you know, when you're after the presence of God, all of a sudden the things of God become important to you. And so he began, he's not even an Israelite and now he's caring for God's house. How does that work? Because only Levites were supposed to be the ones to do that. But you know, when you embrace the Holy Spirit, remember we talked about from the beginning, it's the spirit of breath and life and it creates something out of Nothing. And the spirit of God will turn you into somebody you never thought you could be. And that's what happened to Obed-Edom. And now he's serving in the house of God, but it gets even better. He starts to learn how to play instruments. If you uh, don't know, the Levites were also in charge of the music. DJ and Leah are modern day Levites. This is what they do, and they do it well God gave them those gifts, and that's what they're responsible for. And all of a sudden, Obed-Edom is starting to learn to jam. He's jamming out with with the Levites, and now he's on the worship team. And guess what? His family follows. Now his kids are on the music team. Here's my point. When the Holy Spirit, when you embrace him and you you keep him close to you and he begins to transform you don't worry about God am I doing this just for the blessing it won't be that way the Holy Spirit won't let you do that instead of going after the blessing he turns it into wanting to do ministry wanting to give your life to, to other people and wanting to serve this is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit if we will embrace him and if we'll Keep them close. Whether it means it gets a little, you know, kind of weird sometimes. Remember, we can't control them. We only follow. But the bottom line is the Holy Spirit will transform anyone who will embrace him. And I'm telling you right now that God is ready to bless you. He is ready to bless your family. He's ready to, to bless your, the, the people that you hang out with. He's willing to bless your children and even the children, the grandchildren that you have not even met yet. That's how powerful this stuff is if you embrace him. Again, I believe the church has a Holy Spirit problem. I don't want that to be our problem. I want us to be able to embrace the Holy Spirit. Even as I'm saying that, I'm going, Lord, Lord, (laughs) bow your heads with me. Father, we, Lord, we thank you today. Lord, for how much you love us and how committed you are to us. So much that you don't want to be apart from us. And so you spent your Holy Spirit to be with us every moment of our lives. And he's not just there for decoration. He's there to help us. He's the helper. He's the paraclete. And whatever we need, he is. There's nothing we can, no words we can use to describe, fully describe who he is. Because he's that incredible. And he's that incredible. And that's who we have Not just walking with us, but indwelling in us. And we have access. 24-7 we have access. Lord, I pray you help us to identify those gods that are in our life that don't belong. Lord, you defeat them, but Lord, help us to get our hands on it and remove it. And begin to walk out of those places where we find ourselves in trouble. Lord, help us to identify the sin of indifference towards you. Lord, where you want to do so much in our lives, and Lord, we hold our hands up. And we say, no, thank you. Lord, forgive us. If that's you, just say, God, I'm so so sorry. How dare I reject you? And finally, Lord, help us to fully embrace you. Though we don't understand, it's okay. We're not called to understand you. We're called to embrace you. Lord, help us to do that so that you can bring real transformation in our lives. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. We give you permission to move and to do as you please. In us, If that's you, would you raise your hand? If you say, Holy Spirit, yeah, I give you permission. Would you raise your hand? I give you permission. God, you see these hands. I give you permission. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.